This is IAQ Radio, indoor air quality radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlatan. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio Plus, IAQ Radio Plus. It's Friday, March 8, 2019. Today's guest is Dr. Parham Azimi, calling in uh, from the University of the Illinois Institute of Technology. He's a research associate there, and we're going to talk a little today about particulate matter and uh, mortality, um, and, and just get a little more interesting. Some other interesting topics we're looking forward to. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. IAQ Radio Platinum sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. I also want to thank our gold sponsors, Particles Plus, Healthy Indoors Magazine, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, and AEML Inc. Laboratory. And of course, our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association and the Restoration Industry Association. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to what at cs.com or if listening live just text your answer from your computer and now here's the z-man with this week's iaq radio trivia question hello everyone congratulations go out to tom barnes the third greenville south carolina who was first to identify bill blackman and scott mooring as the two texas businessmen who in 1968 founded the business, which would later become known as Stematic. The IQ Radio question for today, Friday, March 8, 2019, has been sponsored by Ideas, the solution chemistry company providing unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here's today's trivia question. Name the legislation in the year it was created, which created a research and regulatory program in the United States Public Health Service. Back to you, Joe. Hmm. All right. Today's guest is Dr. Parham Azimi. He is a research associate in the Department of Civil, Architectural, and Environmental Engineering at the Illinois Institute of Technology. Much of his research work has focused on the fate, transport, and control of indoor aerosols of indoor and ambient origin, chronic health impacts of fine particles in various microenvironments, and energy performance of residential and commercial buildings. We uh, look forward to a great uh, interview today. Hello, Dr. Azimi. Do we have you on? Hello, Joel. Thank you for having me. Hello, Cliff. Very nice to meet you guys, and thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here and talking with Indoor Air Quality Radio audience. Thank you for Our pleasure. Um, I'm curious, before we get started, we always like to get a little background on our guests, and you have an interesting background. You, you came from uh, your came to hear from Iran, and um, you're now at the Illinois Institute of Technology. How did you end up being, first of all, what led to your interest in indoor air quality, and then how did you end up at the Illinois Institute of Technology? Uh, thank you. Uh, 
So I have a, uh, I got my undergrad uh, degree in civil engineering, and then I, because of my interest in uh, environment, so I uh, continue my education in, ma uh, in uh, during master in environmental engineering. Then uh, seven years ago, when I wanted to decide my path for uh, continuing my PhD. Um, uh, I uh, I had different options. I, I wanted to come to the United States. So I because I had uh, relatives in Chicago and uh, Boston. I I was between these two cities. Uh, eventually, I came to Chicago and uh, started my environmental engineering program. Then, uh, as soon as I started environmental engineering program, I was lucky that Dr. Brent Stevens, my uh, advisors during my PhD and my supervisor right now, he joined IIT as well, and I was his uh, first PhD student. Uh, I, uh, I, I decided to work on indoor air quality because I was more interested in physics and chemistry. So between the different uh, fields of environmental engineering, indoor air quality, and aerosols, basically they have more uh, rea uh, physical reactions and chemical reactions. That's why I decided to choose indoor air quality and join that group. Uh, it's uh, been seven years after I joined uh, a built environmental research group. We call it BERG, and we call ourselves Bergers. Uh, so uh, it's also like an amazing experience. I really enjoy it. Uh, we did uh, like a different uh, uh, project, uh, researches, a, a very wide, uh, a wide variety of like uh, uh, researches that I really enjoyed. What um, is how much awareness of indoor air quality is there in Iran? I mean, is is that a, a topic that people talk about, or is it more of a an academic kind of thing? So. Uh, Actually, when I came to, uh, when I uh, started my, uh, this field like seven years ago, uh, no one really knows, uh, knows about indoor air quality. And when I was telling people that I'm like uh, focused on the indoor air quality, people are saying, what is it? So what exactly you do? But recently, it's uh, getting more awareness. Actually, I was talking uh, with my uh, family in Iran. They wanted to uh, get a permission to build a new house in Iran. And it seems that it is one of the requirements that uh, you have uh, in Iran recently for uh, some cities to make a uh, house. So you have to do, uh, you have to consider indoor air quality. You have to ask consultants who are uh, focused on indoor air quality to design your home in a proper way that you have a, like a healthy air. So recently it is getting more popular in Iran. Uh, and in United States it's uh, very popular as well. Uh, and I think uh, the attention to this topic is getting uh, more uh, uh, it's getting more attention. What what type of construction is is dominant in, in Iran? Do you have? Uh, I'm wondering, are there basements? Uh, are there crawl spaces? Are were these new things to you when when you started looking at indoor air quality here in the United States? So one thing that I really like is new to me: uh, uh, houses which are built by, uh, with wood. You know, that was like uh, something that we don't do it uh, in Iran. 
when you have uh, uh, pardon me no i i with a what with wood like wood, uh, wood okay. structure i see so usually in iran is uh, we are using concrete or steel uh, we are not using wood and uh, when i came here we had a uh, like issue uh, with mold uh, in the united states a lot of uh, older homes uh, they had mold issues uh, and a lot of uh, uh, consulting companies uh, trying to find the sources of the mold inside home it was like a completely new for me and uh, uh, it was one uh, very different but crawl space uh, and basement it is uh, existing in Iran, but mostly uh, basements, not crowded spaces. We don't like. Uh, we usually have like. Uh, we either have a basement or it is like on the ground, but not crowded spaces. It's not like a very uh, popular in Iran. Okay. Uh, as I said, the structures are mostly uh, steel or concrete. In very small like uh, villages, or uh, you may use a brick. Uh, for making a home, but it is not that. Uh, I think recently it's uh, not uh, that popular, particularly uh, newer homes, because Iran is located in a, some area which we have lots of earthquakes. Earthquakes, uh, so uh, the standards or like a regulation asking uh, people to use uh, steel or concrete uh, building. Okay. I, I'm, I, you know, you came to our attention because of a paper. Um, a framework for estimating the U.S. mortality burden of fine particulate matter exposure attributable to indoor and outdoor microenvironments. It's a, it's a mouthful. But then I started looking through your, your CV and some of your other work, and I thought, you know, let's, let's start with a couple of other topics because I, I find those very interesting. Um, what you, You've also been part of an ASHRAE technical committee 2.4, particulate air contaminants and particulate contaminant removal equipment. And we deal a lot with remediation of indoor environments here, and, and we talk a lot about, you know, contamination removal equipment. And I'm, I'm wondering if you could tell listeners a little bit about what that technical committee is doing and what the purpose of it is and, and what they are doing. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, um, ASHRAE Technical Committee 2.4 is uh, focused on, as you said, our uh, particulate contaminants. And they are focusing on uh, uh, both solid and liquid uh, contaminants and uh, the, the way that we are measuring them, the properties of them, how they are affecting like uh, uh, people, human, and also even like uh, materials, like our furniture, like uh, sculptures, you know, these kind of stuff that we are putting at home. We, uh, they are focusing on that. And also we are talking about the uh, methods that we can remove these like uh, uh, contaminants from uh, uh, home as much as possible. We are uh, looking for a more efficient way of removing uh, uh, particulate matter from home, which are like more energy efficient and uh, more economically um, uh, uh, like uh, defendable. Uh, so we don't want to like uh, ask for like uh, tons of money to spend. Uh, so we are like uh, uh, focusing on energy efficiency and economic uh, economic sides of that as well. 
so and uh, we are not like uh, uh, talking about like it's uh, uh, the stuff that we are not talking is like particular like, toxicity. Maybe uh, uh, we are not like focusing very uh, uh, a lot of, uh, on that. And yeah, that is like a, um, oh, and we also talk about like a different ventilation system that we are using. So different stuff. Okay, and, and so is there any discussion about like um, uh, room size air filtration devices? Uh, you know, little little air filtration devices, or is it more focused on the mechanical system? and ventilation, um, and also, what about um, particular, you know, we, we use these things we call air filtration devices during remediation. Um, is there any discussion of that? Yes, definitely. Uh, that is a part of the methods uh, to removing a particulate matter. Uh, when, uh, so, um, air filtration devices, ventilation devices, all of that, or air handling units, uh, or HVAC system, uh, these are all part of like uh, the methods that, that we are using for uh, removing particulate matter from indoor air. Okay, and are you looking at uh, ways of testing that equipment? So how do we test an, an air filtration device properly? So there are different ways. Uh, uh, we can do it in the lab, you know, uh, we can have uh, like a custom built HVAC systems and uh, put uh, like air filters and measure in, in the lab, it measure uh, like a concentration of part, uh, particulate matter before and after the filter and find the efficiency of uh, uh, air, fil air filters for removing particles. That is like a laboratory way. The other way is like um, uh, in, the, uh, in the lab we can, um, inject some uh, uh, particles and then use inside the chamber and then use a, a air filtration system, even like a air handling unit or something like that, and then see how fast it can uh, reduce the concentration of a uh, particulate matter. And then uh, using the like a slope that you are like calculating or like monitoring, you can like estimate the removal efficiency of that system. Uh, it is like a, uh, it is uh, used in the lab. But we also do the field measurements. Oh, you are? In okay. the field measure, measurements, we are kind of like more limited. Uh, usually, we are measuring the concentration, uh, indoor and outdoor concentration, and based on the like uh, you know, decay rate, we can estimate what was the emission rate, what was the remo uh, removal efficiency rate, uh, rate using different, uh, uh, using mass balance equations or number balance equations that we are applying in a like, urban uh, environment. Okay, That's, that sounds like a very wide-ranging uh, committee. They've got a yeah. lot of, uh, a lot of. How long has that committee been in in place? Do you know? Um, I don't know exactly when they started. Uh, uh, so I joined them about like a, a five years ago, uh, but I don't know uh, when they uh, started. So I, okay. I'm not sure when they started yet. Uh, you also, I noticed a um, a paper on modeling the impact of residential HVAC filtration on indoor particles of outdoor origin. It seems like that kind of leads to the paper that that brought us to uh, bring you on today. 
Can you tell listeners a little bit about that paper and, and, and what you were looking for there, modeling the impact of residential HVAC filtration on indoor particles of outdoor origin? That's, that's a mouthful, but uh, maybe you could tell listeners a little on what you did there. Yes, uh, sure. So that paper, uh, we got a uh, grant from Ashray for working on that uh, paper. Uh, in that paper, uh, we consider different type of homes in different uh, location in the United States. We consider uh, uh, different cities, I think uh, close to 20 cities in the United States with different of homes, and then we consider different type of HVAC systems or like a filtration system for these homes. And then based on that, we assume that there is, a, it was a, like a modeling effort. So we had some like assumptions, uh, which was like a not uh, a very accurate for uh, actual light, but we assume that there is no sources of uh, indoor air, uh, indoor air pollution, and we just like a focus on outdoor, and based on the um, uh, penetration factors of the homes and air exchange rate and HVAC system runtime, we estimate what is the impact of different air filtration. You know, if we put different uh, MERV uh, filters in, in the system, uh, how much they can reduce the concentration of particulate matter uh, in the air. Um, uh, so it was like a modeling effort and, uh, and we consider different weather zones in the uh, United States, uh, so in a, a more moderate uh, places and, uh, where the HVAC system is running less, so the impact would be like a lower, but with, uh, when we are talking about like a more uh, harsh weather areas, either warm or cool, when the HVAC system runs more, so you can see the impact of like HVAC situation is improving. So it, it was based on this assumption that HVAC system is working uh, when it is either heating or cooling, which is like uh, valid for most of the homes in the United States, because usually people, they don't put uh, the like a uh, fan only mode very often. Uh, they use their extract system uh, when uh, they either want to uh, uh, use heating or cooling. So and what did, that's what the like model. how effective are existing HVAC systems in removing these particles that we know come from outside get into the indoor environment? It is very depend on the uh, uh, HVAC uh, uh, filter, that uh, air filter that you are using in the HVAC system. So if you are uh, using a proper uh, f uh, filter, air filter, it can be like uh, effective. It can like uh, reduce uh, like uh, more than 50. It uh, uh, depends on the runtime. Uh, airflow recirculation rate and this kind of a stuff, but usually uh, it it can be very effective uh, as you can uh, almost uh, as much as like a seventy percent they can like reduce. Um, okay. uh, but if you are not uh, using a proper um, air filter, it doesn't help you a lot. Uh, so maybe you are you seeing these like uh, air filters which you can like when you hold it in front of your face, you can like see through it. So we are saying this so like a, a kind of air filter is just like for catching uh, like a insects or like a flies, you know, it doesn't like a catch par uh, particles, you know, it's not very effective for that. And uh, unfortunately, I, uh, 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 in field, I see it a lot, 
that people are uh, like using these uh, and uh, like uh, companies who are like installing HVAC system they're saying oh because you don't want a lot of like a pressure drop use this kind of filter so it is not like a really yes it is uh, they have a lower uh, pressure drop but it's not like a help uh, for uh, it wouldn't help your health won't help but you did find up to 70 percent reduction in some cases so let's say they had a through they ran the system you know pretty regularly um, and you could see as much as 70 percent yes interesting yeah. now what percent of our indoor particulate and I know this varies and it depends but a ballpark idea what percent of that came from outside um, so it is very deep uh, de uh, depending on the like uh, type of the home so if you are uh, staying in the like a uh, more moderate uh, zones with uh, people like uh, open their windows a lot uh, and they let the like national ventilation happen so you see that like uh, a lot of uh, air pollution is like uh, coming from uh, outside. But when we are talking about like a uh, Chicago area, uh, like uh, when uh, uh, during winter, when people closing their windows, there is uh, no like a ventilation system. So a uh, lot of these like pollutants actually coming from uh, home. So. I see like a very different uh, numbers, you know, uh, as low as like uh, the, I would say like 20% or 30% coming from outside to like uh, almost like 80%, uh, 70% uh, from outside. So it is a, a, a wide range and uh, I see uh, a, a lot of that very depend on like a home characteristics, uh, human activities how they like uh, open and uh, close the windows, how often they use the HVAC system, it's very different. Okay. Or if they are cooking at home or not, you know, if you cook or if you smoke at home, there's a lot, a lot of that uh, uh, proportion of uh, pollutant is coming from indoor sources. So it's very different. It's I very noticed different. in, in um, several of your papers, you... You did not use homes where they were smoking in the indoor environment. I, I assume that's because it just skews the, the results so high um, that, that it's easier to just remove those people. Exactly. And uh, lots of these numbers that they are using for mortality, they are adjusted for lower concentrations. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, they are based, uh, based on the outdoor air, um, pollution uh, and uh, they are uh, so how they calculate these numbers for mortality rate uh, they are assigning or uh, like a, a regression or linear regressions or different type of regressions on the changes in the out, uh, outdoor air concentration and based on that they in a, like a long way they see how much the mortality changes and uh, they find these like a, a mortality rate value or better values so, and uh, they usually focus on lower concentration of air pollutants. So when you're talking about like a high concentration coming from smoking, so we cannot actually using those numbers. So we need like a, a, a numbers which like adjusted for those concentrations. Interesting. Now, before we go into um, the, the mortality and that, that particular study, indoor or outdoor comparison, 
I noticed another paper you did on um, 3D printers. And, you know, you were talking about indoor sources of, uh, of contaminants, of, of particulate. And I, I wondered, first of all, how much of a source is like a laser printer um, or, um, you know, I guess a laser printer is the most common. Like I've got one sitting over here right now. What, what yeah. kind of exposure do people get when they're using a laser printer in their home? Um, so, again, it is very different and uh, it's uh, based on like uh, how, uh, how often they are using it, uh, how far they are from it. It, it, uh, it can be uh, very uh, different and we are uh, talking about uh, mostly for laser printer and 3D printers, we are talking about ultra-fine particles. Uh, which is uh, like uh, not um, it is not based on the mass it's based on the number uh, number concentration of the uh, 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 number concentration of uh, uh, these particles mm -hmm. so ultra uh, for audience if uh, uh, I'm pretty sure they are familiar with that but uh, when we are talking about ultra fine particles we are talking about particles less than 100 nanometers uh, so, uh, uh, laser printers and 3D printers, uh, they are usually emitting lots of uh, ultrafine particles. And uh, I was in a, like a, uh, uh, if you, we are talking about like a close, small area, the concentration could be like a, going as high as like a 1 million uh, like a numbers per centimeter cube. I've seen this number in like a very small uh, area. But usually when we are, are like uh, talking about like a small home uh, uh, or with a, like a, a living room with one printer uh, working like uh, casually, I, I think it's like 20,000, 30,000 uh, uh, numbers per centimeter cube. Uh, if you want to have some idea what is like a regular concentration of ultra fine particles at home, so it's again it's very dif uh, different it's changing uh, a lot when you are cooking or doing uh, that but i usually get a, like a number concentration between 8000 to 15000 when there is no like a significant source sometimes i give and like i get a, like a 5000 but regularly between 8000 to 15000 number per centimeter cube we are talking and then we are like operating a, uh, a laser printer this number can be like a double or triple when we are using uh, one of the during like that five minutes. So I it depends on how often you are using your uh, uh, printer. If you are like uh, copying and like printing a lot, so that would be like uh, 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 for a longer time. But um, if you are like uh, using it for just one or two, pa uh, copying, uh, printing one or two pages, so it could be like a uh, uh, lower exposure. And of course, it would also depend if they had ventilation in that area. I don't think many people do in their home, but no, you know, unless you put it. No, I've never seen it like uh, at home that they put a hood on the top of their three D printer or laser printer. <laughs> I never seen that. Well, what about the three D printers? Are they do they release uh, more particulate, more of this ultra fine particulate than a regular laser printer? Uh, it depends on the type of filament that uh, they are using. Uh, hmm. So uh, nowadays, uh, 3D printers uh, use a, a wide variety of like uh, filaments. Uh, they call uh, there uh, two of them are more popular. 
ABS and PLA. Uh, PLA is uh, more like a, it's coming from more national uh, like sources, and the emission rates of uh, PLA filaments are uh, lower than ABS. But uh, I would say that uh, laser printers are like uh, between uh, like a PLA and ABS. Uh, the emission rates from like a, uh, it's almost uh, the same as ABS uh, 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 filament. Okay, and Cliff, before we go to halftime, was there anything you wanted? I, I haven't been able to follow the chat. I don't know if there were any chat questions you wanted to ask uh, Dr. Azimi or if, if you had any questions of your own. No, I, I just had one, doctor. Um, in studying the HVAC systems, um, you know, some of these systems draw more, you know, they, they run, in, they're, they're moving more CFM, the, the blowers are bigger you know, particularly in some of the older systems. And I was wondering whether you studied, or, you know, how that blower system can negatively pressurize the house and draw more contaminants in from the outside. You know, like what role that plays? Yeah, it, it depends if it is like a recirculation or ventilation. So most of these HVAC systems that we, uh, I've seen at home, they are recirculating air. Right. So they are getting the air and putting it back, uh, back from the other register. So uh, you, uh, they shouldn't make lots of like a, 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 like a negative pressure uh, on the home. So it shouldn't like a change the uh, uh, infiltration of outdoor air a lot if it is like a recircul recirculation only. Okay. But if you are like a, uh, talking about ventilation, yes, yeah, so it, it could have impact on a, a concentration of outdoor air pollution so they come inside so that's why we are like uh, trying to uh, if uh, if our envelope is tight so it can uh, these uh, par uh, particulates can uh, filter properly uh, before they come inside but uh, we are preferring to have a ventilation system which we have like a control on the source of outdoor uh, air so we uh, get the outdoor air from some pathway that we can like filter them before they uh, get inside well yeah as i said in a regular homes that i uh, usually see uh, residential residential building they're mostly like recirculation so they don't impact on the like air pressure okay thank you um, before we go to halftime i have a text uh, came in private um there are also i guess ink jet printers as well um and then you've got laser jet i guess or laser printers and then you've got the 3d printers what how do the inkjet printers compare to the laser printers are they producing less particulate more particulate different types of particulate or is um, it, i haven't I haven't tested the jet printers, uh, so I cannot like answer to that uh, question like uh, um, specifically. But it, again, it would be uh, de uh, depending on uh, like uh, type of uh, uh, type of uh, materials that we are talking. I I uh, uh, I have to say I I did some measurement on like a laser cutters uh, when they are like cutting the wood or uh, this kind of stuff. So uh, those uh, laser cutters, they are emitting uh, particle, uh, part uh, particle and also VOCs. Uh, and I have to tell you what uh, one of the difference between like a laser printer and like a 3D printer is 3D printers are emitting lots of VOCs as well, volatile organic compounds. 
so that which uh, can be like a more harmful than a party, even particle. Uh, so, I would imagine also, and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I've never had a 3D printer. I don't. I don't know a whole lot about them, but it seems to me that you would be running that for a longer period of time than a, than a typical laser printer. Is that true? That's completely true. So, at, uh, when you are like a, uh, want to, to like a, a print something as small as like a, this, you know, it, it, uh, it's very different. It could be like a three hours, four hours of printing. Okay. And uh, uh, when you buy for kids, uh, so kids are like very interested to see how it is like a printing, and they are just like a, like a, uh, sitting like a close to it and watch it for a long time and like printing, and it's just like a bridge, you know. Uh, so uh, fortunately, there are lots of companies starting to put enclosure for it. They put a, like uh, interior filtration for it. Uh, uh, some filters have like a boost for particles, and also uh, it has like active carbon to get uh, VOCs as well, which is like a great. Uh, and we are all uh, we are not like uh, against using 3D printers. We are saying that uh, when you want to uh, when you want to cook, you put uh, you cook under a hood. So uh, you put the ventilation for uh, when you are cooking. So it is the same as for uh, 3D printers. You have to be uh, careful about them. You have to provide proper ventilation system for that. that uh, actually, when we uh, the, the way that we got this project, it was about uh, when uh, one of the employees of one of the companies who had like many 3D printers and they put like a six or seven uh, 3D printer inside like a small uh, room and he complains to us, he was like a, uh, one of our classmates, he complains to us that uh, whenever I work in that room, I get a headache uh, mm. and I can't like it not to do it. So they suggested us to uh, go and do the measurements and when we went there and we do the measurements, we uh, saw that lots of ultrafine particles coming out of that. And uh, it was our first paper, which was like the first known uh, paper regarding uh, emissions of 3D printers. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, when we come back, uh, we're going to stop. We're going to thank our sponsors. And when we come back for the second half of the interview, I, I want to get into uh, some detail about, about the paper we were talking about here on um, estimates of U.S. mortality burden attributable to indoor exposure to fine particulate matter of both indoor and outdoor origin. <laughs> but we'll be right back with uh, Dr. Parhama Zimi. Hi, thank you. Thank you. Sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Gold sponsors are Particles Plus engineers and manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters and air quality monitoring instrumentation. Learn more at ParticlesPlus.com. Count on us. Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at HealthyIndoors.com. And AEML Laboratories, free FedEx shipping, great pricing, same-day results, and never a rush fee. Learn more at AEMLinc.com. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at WolfSense.com. 
association sponsors are the Indoor Air Quality Association, a multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Learn more at iaqa.org and RIA, the Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry. Network with leaders. Learn more at restorationindustry.org. I also want to uh, let listeners know we just got another association sponsor. Uh, actually, they're, they're a uh, professional society, I believe is what they're called. The Cleaning Industry Research Institute will be joining the IAQ radio team here uh, very soon, and it's great to have them. We've had John Downey, their executive director, on the show several times, and I uh, look forward to talking to John Moore and, and doing some shows on their um, – they're putting out a new uh, peer-reviewed – I guess it would be a magazine, essentially, uh, for uh, articles on cleaning and cleaning industry research. So looking forward to having John on and, and some of the people that are authors in that, uh, in that new journal. Anyway, let's uh, go to the framework for estimating mortality of fine partic- particulate matter. Um, I guess let's start with this. It looks to me like you started with the outdoor. I mean, there's pretty good information on outdoor mm-hmm particulate matter, and mortality. So maybe you could just kind of fill listeners in a little bit on that. When they, First of all, when you say mortality, um, what are we talking about with respect to mortality? Secondly, um, how did you break down the, the outdoor particulate? Where did you get your outdoor particulate numbers from? Uh, sure. Uh, so when uh, we are talking about mortality, we are uh, – the way that they are usually measured is mortality rate. And they, uh, based on like a census data, they know that how many like a death was happening in the uh, United States in different regions. And then they are uh, removing the accidental event, uh, 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 death, like for like a car accidents or like a work accidents or this kind of stuff. So they uh, re- uh, remove that part, and th- it just remains like a death related to heart attack, like a cancer, and uh, like a respiratory uh, problems. So when they have those uh, rates related to that one, and then they compare it with the uh, outdoor air con- uh, concentration in those uh, like in different regions or different cities. And the studies are showing that it was a like a linear uh, relationship or correlation between uh, no, uh, like number of deaths and uh, PM uh, concentration. So that's why they are saying that the PM. Uh, so they are saying, that, oh, when there is like a, a linear or direct uh, relationship between like outdoor concentration and number of deaths, which is not like which is like a, because of different diseases. So we said maybe uh, uh, partic- particles are responsible for this increase in the number of the deaths. Uh, so that's the way uh, they are uh, doing it. Yeah, uh, I can talk about like uh, uh, outdoor air, how we measure it. Uh, about well, yeah, the other question. Let's start with this. Um, this particular study is 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 for the United States only, as I understand. Is that, is that correct? You're looking at the United States. What, and I don't know, I'm, I'm, I didn't prepare you for this, so if you don't know the answer, that's fine. 
how does the United States rate with respect to, and I think we're talking about PM 2.5, right? And below, or are we talking, okay, PM 2.5. Um, how do we rate compared to other countries? You know, you, you see that China and India and, and some of these other countries have what I assume are very high numbers of PM. Um, are those like double what you see in the United States, triple, four times as much? Um, we're, how do we rate comparatively? Oh, so fortunately, we are in a good uh, uh, shape, kind of, you know, like uh, uh, the highest concentration that I see in the United States could be like uh, about, uh, uh, I, as you say, I don't have this number in front of me, but uh, from my mind, I think like uh, the highest number would be like a 40 or 50 uh, micrograms per meter cube uh, for PM 2.5. Uh, it, it's very depend on like a different season, different like location, but uh, I rarely see uh, uh, something more than like a 40 or 50, uh, which the standard is telling that the standard is like a 10 microgram per meter cube for like a PM 2.5. But in cities, uh, in uh, other cities uh, like a, in, like a Beijing or like a New Delhi or Tehran, uh, we are talking about like a 300, you know, uh, microgram per meter cube. It's a lot higher, you know, it's a lot higher in those uh, 300, 350. Uh, in some days that uh, they have to like uh, uh, make uh, like a, they close the uh, like uh, offices and the schools and they are asking people to not uh, go out of their home when they are like uh, passing like uh, these uh, crazy limitations of like uh, crazy uh, concentration of uh, particulate matter in the other countries. Yeah. So you're, in Iran, I see that a lot. These numbers could be as much as 10 times higher. I mean, from yes. 30 to 50, up to 300 or more. Yes. What Do you know off the top of your head, um, in the Western United States during the wildfire um, we had a lot of wildfires here recently. What kind of numbers did you see then? Do you know that? Uh, I don't know that, uh, but it was uh, definitely incre uh, cre increasing the uh, concentration. And actually, I don't uh, because they're pretty new, so I uh, I don't see uh, I don't uh, completely sure that uh, this data is using in any journal papers yet but definitely uh, you can like uh, check it in the like EPA website and the other sources they are reporting that and uh, if you check uh, check at the like a date so you can see that so yes when uh, people are seeing uh, like a like a smoke so definitely the concentration are like very high and it could be like a uh, it could be as bad as like those like cities that I mentioned. So maybe like 300. I, I, I'm not sure about the number here. Now the other thing you, you're trying to do here is um, determine the particulate matter exposure attributable to indoor and outdoor. So you're, you're trying to, um, and it's got to be tough to do, you're trying to, to determine, okay, uh, how much of this, particulate matter in my indoor environment came from outside and how much came from inside. And, and as we said earlier, you excluded homes where they were smoking uh, because that would have just made it almost impossible. 
Um, how do you do that? I mean, I know it's probably a little lengthy, but if you could kind of give us the short version of how you try and tease out the difference between the indoor and the outdoor particles. Exactly. Sure. Uh, so in that, uh, in that, uh, like a paper that you are talking about, uh, we are using a models. So we write a mass balance uh, model uh, for uh, for a different home based on the home characteristics uh, and see how much of the outdoor air pollution is coming inside uh, using a, like a usual mass balance equation, uh, uh, considering different penetration factor, infiltration factor, uh, HVAC system runtime. So we, uh, we find uh, we estimate the proportion of outdoor air which is uh, coming from uh, inside. And then in, the, in that uh, model, we introduce some emission rates, which is like from indoor sources. And then, uh, uh, so we add the, uh, those numbers together and we find the total uh, concentration of uh, particulate matter. Uh, and we know that how much of it is coming from outside and how much of uh, it is coming from inside. But as you said, in the like a practical uh, way, uh, we cannot like uh, do the modeling. So usually in a like a field measurement, what uh, we are doing, we try to minimize the indoor sources as much as possible. Uh, for example, we are trying uh, to like uh, uh, we make the uh, people to leave the house to not like walk or suspend the thing. We are like uh, turning off the uh, HVAC system to not like recirculate uh, the air, and then we are trying to. Uh, like uh, not having like a uh, indoor sources like uh, cooking or the other or like a different sources. So we are like uh, uh, omitting or removing all of the indoor sources, and then we see uh, or we monitor out uh, outdoor concentration, indoor concentration together. So when uh, uh, based on the changes in the outdoor concentration and then we monitor how much the indoor concentration is changes. When we are comparing these changes and we like uh, uh, pass it through the model, so we can see how much of the outdoor uh, is coming inside. So when we know that how much of outdoor is coming inside, uh, inside then we can have like indoor sources, uh, and then uh, we see how much those like sources is adding uh, like a concentration to that. So that's way, that way we are like uh, finding the portion of like indoor sources and outdoor sources in uh, total uh, uh, concentration of air, uh, like a particulate matter at home. And, and that helps you build your model? Uh, yes, uh, that, uh, that, uh, the model that we are uh, doing is like a framework. So. Uh, the reason that we start this uh, framework, lots of these like uh, epidemiology studies was based on the outdoor air pollution. None of them like uh, considering indoor exposures. But we are saying that 90% of the time we are staying indoor, so we have to see how much of like a, uh, how much of like a uh, uh, people are like expo expo exposing inside homes. So. Uh, uh, you are saying, okay, when we are living in a city which like outdoor air concentration is increasing 10 microgram per meter cube, it is like a really uh, changing inside from uh, 10 microgram? No. So because we have like infiltration factor of a 0.6, so in, uh, inside home, the concentration would be changed six microgram per meter cube. Uh, uh, so that's why we are uh, saying that 
uh, we are considering different macro environments and uh, we see how much like uh, actually people are exposed to the like a PM 2.5 in different uh, macro environments and based on that we uh, can find the actual mortality. Uh, so we are saying that uh, we are not exposing to just outdoor sources, we are also uh, uh, exposing to indoor sources. The reason that we uh, use the term of framework because we are uh, using lots of assumptions in our model. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, we assume that uh, uh, particles from indoor sources and outdoor sources have the same toxicity, which is not like some papers say that uh, indoor sources are more toxic, some sources are saying outdoor sources are more toxic. toxic. So we, are, we don't know which one is like a correct. So we just like assume that they are like equal uh, to each other. So that's why uh, we, we say that Still, we don't know the exact numbers, so let's have it uh, like a more, uh, let's have it more uh, like, a, like a framework. In the future, if we get a better number, we can put it in the framework and get a, a better estimate of like a mortality. So that's why we use a framework term for that. So this is, it's really going to help future research more than anything. It's not necessarily telling us a great deal right well, it's telling us something right now, but I mean, it's really a, a kind of a foundation on which to build. Is that accurate to say? Uh, I would say it's accurate because we are uh, uh, we are compared with uh, like uh, other existing studies to like uh, estimating the mortality, and we are in the same range. Uh, so it's uh, accurate, uh, but it can always like improve. Now. I noticed in here it said, let me, let me get to this. Um, all right. Our best estimates of the U.S. mortality burden associated with total PM 2.5 exposure in the year 2012 range from 230,000 to 300,000 deaths. That's, that kind of gets your attention right there. Um, indoor exposure to PM 2.5 of outdoor origin is typically the largest total exposure, accounting for 40 to 60% of the total mortality, followed by residential exposure to indoor PM 2.5. So, so of that mortality of 230,000 to 300,000 deaths, 40 to 60%, I hope I have this right, is from the outdoor, from the, from the exactly. PM 2.5 coming from the outdoors, but then you have another, what, uh, 30 or uh, yeah, 40% uh, coming from the indoor exposure. No, no, these are coming, uh, so they are outdoor sources. So uh, 60, 40 to 60% are coming from outdoor sources, but it, it's still the most of our exposure to outdoor sources are indoor. Are you know, Okay, yeah. so then conversely, 40 to 60% are also from indoor sources, right? I mean, yeah. okay, interesting. And then you had two, two methods, I think. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that, how you, you uh, applied that model framework and, and you used two different methods, I believe, for applying that framework? Um, uh, uh, yes, uh, so are you talking about like uh, the first uh, paper that we published and the second paper that we published? 
or uh, the dissenters? Well, no, no. I'm sorry. Within that, within that second paper, I think this this framework. Uh-huh. Um, I'm sorry. They were scenarios. I, I used the wrong terminology. Scenario, scenario one yeah. and scenario two. Can you tell listeners what that means? Uh, so, uh, as I said, so this framework. Uh, so uh, we made this like a model that we can like put. Good, uh, like, uh, uh, like uh, we can put different assumptions in that uh, framework. So we make like a uh, two packs of assumptions, you know, for uh, putting in that framework. There, uh, scenario number one and scenario number two. So scenario number one, which was just like considering uh, like a national-wide concentration and just like put it there. And in scenario number two, we are like a constant, like a regional. Uh, uh, exposures as well, so we see that uh, we are assuming that how much in different regions it would be changed. So that's why we call it like a, a different. So, so in the framework, that, in the framework that we develop, we could like put different packs of like assumptions. You know, uh, anything that you want, and you can like get a, a result out of that. And then scenario number two, John, if you could put that map up, you you broke the country yeah. into these different. Uh, regions and and then um, based on the region you were able to differentiate well to to um, put more precise numbers on the particulate matter in outdoor air based on the region does that make sense like some parts of the country like the middle Atlantic and the south Atlantic had higher PM 2.5 than say the mountain area and in scenario two, you took that information into consideration. Exactly. So as I said, in a scenario one, we are just using the number that is like a national-wide average of PM2.5 or national-wide average of like infiltration rate uh, for PM2.5 in the United States. And then in the scenario number two, we wanted to see if we do our analysis like uh, regionally. And then take a like a see uh, find the number of the deaths in different regions and then add them together. If uh, we are getting to the same like average number that we are using in scenario number one or not, so we are getting like a pretty close number. So that's why uh, we are doing uh, that. The reason that we are using the uh, the scenario number one because scenario number one was uh, mostly based on like measurement studies. But in scenario number two, it was kind of like a, this re- regional analysis was uh, the, uh, the parameter was like based on some modeling effort that was uh, doing uh, by other researchers. Uh, so in this study, we wanted to see uh, uh, regional analysis, how much it would impact on total uh, uh, like a number concentration. Uh, uh, if we are like doing this uh, regional analysis in comparison of the national analysis. Uh, and we saw that the part that uh, we have a like, more polluted area, so the number of deaths is like a lot uh, higher. Yeah, sorry. And that's, that's interesting because, uh, you know, I live in this middle Atlantic area here, and the, the mid-Atlantic area was, was a good bit higher than other areas. It makes sense. We, you know, the Ohio Valley's been a, an area for coal-fired power plants and steel mills for years. We've got a big coke plant in Pittsburgh, and um, we have much higher PM 2.5 outdoors than than other parts of the country do. So I, I find that interesting. I guess um, 
I want to ask you a little bit about your, your HUD program. We're running a little tight on time. Before we go to that, though, I guess, can you kind of give us a final comment on this study on a framework for estimating U.S. mortality burden? Um, what, what's your overall thoughts as far as you know, where do we go from here? Um, so uh, uh, from here, we are telling people that uh, we, were, we wanted to tell you, be careful. The number of deaths which is like associated with particulate matter is high. And if you convert this like a number of deaths to the like uh, dollars or the, the dollars that you are like uh, spending on like a uh, health and like uh, curing people, it's like a crazy number of uh, like uh, uh, like money that we are spending every year uh, uh, for that. So we are saying that if we are trying to reduce the exposure of people to the like a uh, particulate matter, we are actually like a saving money. So uh, we are saying, that, oh, we are using like a coal, uh, uh, like a coal uh, for like making electricity or like a, uh, these are making lots uh, our like a region a lot more polluted or like our country uh, very polluted. And then, uh, but it is causing the health, uh, maybe it's cheaper at the beginning, but when you are considering the number of deaths that is like in, uh, like a, a making, it doesn't make even economically it doesn't make sense to use like a, a, these a dirty sources of like energy for uh, electricity or the other sources. So we are just want to make uh, people aware that it is uh, uh, like a significant number of deaths is like associated with like air pollutants, and we have to be careful about that, and we have to do something to control uh, 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 particles or like uh, any kind of uh, uh, air pollution. Before we go, um, you had asked that we mention your postdoc project funded by HUD, um, mm -hmm. a very practical project where you're installing three types of ventilation systems for 41 selected homes. I, I do find that very interesting, and I'm wondering what are the three types of ventilation systems that you're installing? Um, so the type of ventilation system that we are installing is uh, exhaust only, which is like a continuous exhaust fan. Uh, one or two of them, based on the how big is this home, is like exhaust only ventilation system. Probably the most the common other one, out there, right? Most Every common. bathroom fan and maybe a fume hood or a, 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 exactly. a rain. Yeah, okay. but they are not uh, operating it like a continuously. So we are like a converted to like a continuously like a ventilation. That is one time. The other one are like a CFIS system, which is like a, uh, introducing the air uh, into the like HVAC system, like a fresh air to the HVAC system and spread it uh, through the like a uh, home uh, after uh, passing through the air filter, which was like an HVAC system. And the other, uh, and it was uh, working inter uh, intermittently, so it was not like working continuously. So it was like uh, working whenever the HVAC system was working, that uh, uh, ventilation system was working as well. Uh, but that was another uh, system which was not continuous, the FIS system which was not continuous. And the other one is like a fully ducted uh, continuous uh, uh, system with like ERV. So ERV is like a, uh, uh, helping the outdoor fresh air, which is like a cold or warm, uh, when, when it comes inside. So it's uh, like uh, exchange the energy with uh, like a... Uh, uh, 
air which is like going outside. So the temperature would be more moderate. So when we are like one of the complaints about the ventilation system is that uh, it's bringing like a cold uh, or very hot air, you know, like a harsh, uh, uh, like a, a parts of that. So that's why we are installing ERVs in the home to like uh, moderate the energy. So these are three types of uh, uh, ventilation systems that we are installing and we wanted to see how much they impact and like the asthma symptoms in the uh, participants of this study. So uh, none of these uh, 41 homes had a like a ventilation system. So we uh, monitored uh, uh, indoor air quality one year before installing ventilation system and one year after that and see how much the air quality improved and how much the asthma symptoms uh, change before and after the, installing the how asthma much symptoms. Changes? Asthma symptoms? Okay, asthma, asthma. okay, gotcha. Asthma, yeah. Asthma, uh, asthma, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, <laughs> so you've got 41 homes. You're installing three different types of ventilation systems. That sounds like it's a very interesting project. Um, and then you're looking at uh, indoor air quality and asthma. Uh, um, yeah. And how... I'm just curious with the ERV, you're going to need some kind of maintenance. Are you helping the building, the homeowners ensure that they maintain that properly or is it just being installed and let it go? So we are uh, following up with them uh, for one year and we are like uh, providing like uh, air uh, uh, filters for them for one year after that for the two years of air filters. But their main, their, their main uh, maintenance of ERVs is not like uh, as different, uh, uh, as much different as uh, like HVAC system. Right. So if uh, usually these homes that they can maintenance their HVAC system, it is like uh, as affordable and uh, like uh, as reliable as uh, like HVAC system. Uh, so uh, it's like a new system that uh, it's not. Uh, we are installing these systems for the homes for like a uh, free, but we hope that. Uh, and the impact uh, would be uh, high enough that it would encourage people to like uh, have one of these systems at their home to reduce the asthma symptoms. If they are like a practical and the uh, money that we are spending is like a uh, uh, reliable or like a, uh, affordable, so uh, people would be encouraged to do that. How far along are you in that study? Have you done the one-year monitoring prior and now you're installing or where are you on that? So we just, uh, last week, we just finished uh, all of the installations. So oh. uh, now we are uh, uh, starting uh, the second part of that, which is like uh, measuring the air quality and uh, asthma symptoms uh, after installing ventilation system. We are already like uh, visited um, uh, almost 10 homes after that. So, and we are looking continue, uh, continuing this study for the next year, and we keep monitoring uh, uh, these parameters every season. So every season we put these air quality monitors for one week at their uh, home in different seasons and see how it's like a change. And people are reporting their asthma symptoms through the survey to us, and we score it so to see how much like it changes. Very interesting. I, uh, we'll have to get you back in a year or maybe a year and a half after you're able to uh, get all your data together and see how it comes out. Yeah, it would be my pleasure. I'm like so excited about the results of that study as well.
Great. And uh, before we go, is there anything you'd like to add? Uh, no, uh, I wanted to thank you again for having me here. And I'm happy that uh, attention to indoor air quality is increasing uh, maybe all over the world. And it is, it is amazing. And I'm happy about that. Well, great. And it's, uh, we appreciate having you um, and, and look forward to following up Dr. Parham Azimi. And uh, Cliff, before we go, any final thoughts from you? I'm good, Joe. Thank you. All right. We'll get a blog out for listeners. By the way, next Friday, I will be on the road. Uh, so Cliff and I have to talk about what to do on this show for next Friday at noon. But uh, as always, I want to thank our guest this week and uh, my co-host, the Z-Man. Of course, John, you got to have faith that the controls, most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners and our sponsors as well. We'll be back next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening.